Are you ready to be inspired, uplifted, and motivated to greatness? It's time for Star Style. Be the star you are. With your effervescent personal growth coaches, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and health specialist, Heather Brittany. Define your vision, discover your passion, and design your future in this power-packed hour of life-changing talk radio featuring authors and success experts dedicated to helping you achieve the results you deserve. Be entertained, edutained, encouraged, and empowered. Smile, have fun, and celebrate you. Explore your potential and embrace your possibilities with your hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on Star Style. Be the star you are, starting right now. That's right. Never say never. Live your dreams. It's the power hour here on Star Style. Be the star you are with positive book talk with authors and experts. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And we are always so excited to be your personal growth success coaches with you every week. We have you on our radar and we want your dreams to come true and give you the power that you've always had. You just maybe needed to shine up that star just a little bit. You can fix what's broken and heal what hurts and become the person you were born to be. We are a show about following your heart and doing what you love, bubbling with enthusiasm and inspiration and information and tools for daily life. And we do call it Champagne for the Spirit. And speaking of spirits, today's show is a little bit of a detour from what we normally do because we are going to bring you plenty of spirits and witches and vampires and zombies and things that go bump in the night. We'll have Roland Alnock will be talking about his second book called Oddities and Entities in segment two. And New York Times bestseller Melissa De La Cruz brings back her witches of East End in her second installment of the Serpent's Kiss, actually just called Serpent's Kiss, in our last segment. And But coming up right now in Health Matters, Heather wants to get your finances healthy and happy, and we're going to be discussing the difference between good and bad debt, or is there such a difference? The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity, increasing literacy, positive media, and giving teens a voice, also empowering women and families through improved literacy. So make a donation, visit btsya.com. And this is really a Chinese proverb that fits well with health matters. When the heart is at peace, the body will be healthy. Doesn't that one sound good, Heather? And that, the, that, that's how life should be. It is. <laughs> the heart is at peace, the body will be healthy. Off the air a second ago, we were just talking about how love kind of makes the world go round. And it's true, the things that we do for love, isn't it true? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, we move different places, we take different jobs, we change our hair, our clothes, whatever. But if, in the end, I think love is all there is. Well, getting to the love of money <laughs> or the love of having good credit. Let's uh-huh. talk about this myth, Heather, of good debt or better debt versus worse debt. I know that prior to the Great Depression, uh, many financial experts differentiated between something called good debt and something called bad debt. And one was loans with low interest rates, like a home loan. And then, because obviously the value of a home would presumably go up, and the debt helped the borrower work towards building wealth. Although some financial people today do not call your home 
a good debt. They actually call think that it's just debt, period. So then bad debt included the credit cards and loans taken out to pay for things that your cash couldn't cover. But today we have kind of a whole new look at things, right? So I want you to start talking about is there such a thing as better or worse debt? Because with all these credit cards running around and companies giving kids credit and then they're in trouble for $25,000, you know, in yeah. debt before they get out of college, what is going on? No, exactly. You know, you know there was, there's always what's this kind of this myth of bad debt and good debt, just as you explained. But really, it's just a myth. And when it comes down to all debt is debt and it's bad. And it's difficult a lot of times to get rid of. And and something, um, the big thing are really stressing just because, um, especially you work so much um, with a lot of teens and, and youth empowerment and education. And with that end goal, you know, of higher education. And as we know in today's society is um, education is still always, you know, it's priceless. It's so important, but also is so expensive. And a lot of people now, um, a college debt was seen for a long time as something that was good debt because it seemed that you were trying to eventually have an end goal, that you were going to be successful and you would have this money and that, you know, in order to make money, you got to spend money, that kind of old slogan. Um, but when it comes down to it more and more times, especially once the market hit, um, our parents have taken on greater debts. Many People, you know, the housing industry is is at a huge thing right now. And for a long time, um, I know we purchased when there was this balloon when you know you were buying, you know, not exactly the greatest places, but it's so much money. And the whole thing is that your house makes equity; you earn that. Um, and now houses are. And we know how things have fallen in the last few years, and so many people lost their homes, right? And, and other and people are struggling to keep there. Yeah, and I mean, and the, the crazy thing, you know, when it comes to, you know, just now, so as we say, there's no good debt, bad debt, there's just uh, better debt and worse debt. And, and something, you know, that really we've always stressed on is it's important um, to, you know, the a thing that really affected our economy was with credit cards. And especially speaking back to that college kid again, I remember when I was in college, they would have these people that just write on the border so they couldn't get on tr- in trouble, um, you know, for, for soliciting at the school. They'd have these little booths set up that, you know, sign up for this, you know, credit card X and get a free T-shirt or get a gift card, you know, to somewhere. And, and something that wasn't texting. And all of a sudden, as a poor college kid, you had all this money on this piece of plastic that, you know, and, and as we know, people rack up a lot of credit card debt, not knowingly. And when you make that bare minimum payment, it get that the minimum you should never, you should always, if you're going to get, because um, what, uh, having a credit card, the, the good and bad of it, the good is you need, um, if you are ever planning to buy a car or buy a house, you have to have an established credit line. And in order to have that, you have to be using a credit card. I know um, for a long time I had to get a credit card because when I was first starting out in car, I, I paid everything checks. I, I, I feel no one using, even writes checks anymore, but checks and, and cash. And I had no, not that I had bad credit, I had no credit. I was no one in the system. And, so, you know, before you go there, I just want to say, that's what people don't don't realize, that if you are paying cash for things, which we think is a good thing, that way you have no debt, the only problem is you also have no credit rating. 
So exactly. you do have to get a, a credit card and make sure to pay it off. Yeah, and so a big thing you know, with that is really um, understanding your finances. Now, and this goes out to you know speaking to the adults as well. as I really want this message to be heard in the college kid because um, times have changed that before, you know, if um, a recommend to parents start setting up a fund for kids for college. College is always increasingly expensive. And now in today's society, unless you have this amazing genius or overly talented child, uh, they're going to need that college degree and and now the college degree is sort of the bare minimum and and you want to start planning for that um, for a lot of people unfortunately even if their parents have saved or if they have been able to they're going to need to take on some of that debt they're going to need to pay for it so it's knowing one thing of having a credit card is a good thing and establish it but if you're someone you know that if you don't even trust yourself get a credit card that only has a $500 a month limit and make sure you pay it off every single month. Whatever you spend, use it as if you were paying in cash. Spend exactly what you have. That way you're establishing good credit. Um, every time you use a credit card, that actually is debt because you're loaning out money that doesn't exist at the moment. You pay it off each month, your credit score is going to go up. Something too with planning for college-wise is um, getting back to you know if applying for all those grants and scholarships. We've talked on other T for two on the radio show before about how there's so much unclaimed money out there that there's always. The, I mean, here even um, through the radio show we did you know the writing where people the SAA contests things like that those scholarships are to apply for. But if you do need to take out a loan, be really cautious of the loans you take. A lot of times loans. Um, at four-year universities give you six months up to a year after you have graduated to pay off that loan because the expectation is now you have a degree, you will have gotten some great job, and they're giving you a little bit of a cushion time. And they usually have very low um, APR, very low interest rates on it. The key thing is paying that off on that first six months to year off. The, the best thing really is while you're in college to start kind of paying back towards it. But if that isn't your case, start paying immediately. I read and I've seen on the news horror stories about people who have graduated and are now in hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars of debt from colleges. And, and that's just really scary. I mean, that, that's why it's such an important thing to kind of pay as you go because it seems like, oh, sure, I'll be able to pay it off in six months. But you can't pay off thousands of dollars in six months. You can't save that much. So the interest rates are going to kill you. Yeah, and exactly. And in college, again, college debt technically is that old myth of good debt. It's not good debt. It's still it's still debt, but it's looking at sort of the catch-22 is in order to be credit-worthy um, for something, in order to be credit-worthy to approve for a loan to buy that house or buy that car, they need to see that you've used credit card notes and that you've taken out other loans and been a responsible lender that, you know, sort of, you know, let never... I, I want to say something, too, about credit cards and credit ratings. And this is something I think that people don't know. And that is, if you get a credit card, you want, and it, especially if it doesn't have a fee attached to it, you want to hold on to it and not close it down. And you don't want to open too many credit cards because 
Every time you open a new credit card, your credit rating actually goes down. Every time you close a credit card, maybe because you're not using it or whatever, your credit rating goes down. So it's better just to cut them up and don't do it. Every time a a bank or a car place, any place, any time you want to borrow money and somebody has to look into your credit rating, it's like a mark against you. I don't know why. That sounds so stupid that just because there are inquiries about your credit, your credit rating goes down but that's the way life is so you want to keep your credit ratings up you know don't open open one or two and keep them don't keep opening them yeah and and something that's too is i just know you know we live in this day of technology and it's so much easier to do things online um but the best your bet bet is actually going into a bank and talking with someone i know in the matter of one night i was looking to get a credit card where I could have, you know, a year of not paying interest. But I had, you know, and I had other credit cards before, and I made the mistake of I was putting in things and all this stuff. And in the course of one night, I probably applied for, like, six credit cards, not knowing what I was just like, oh, you know, there's all these different sites. And then I got a thing saying, you know, after running it, that you had applied, it had worked against me. And, you know, everything that's exactly what I'm talking about. It worked against you because they they were looking at your credit. Why was there so much activity? But then just recently, um, and some, you know, there was this thing you had actually brought to my attention that Chase Bank, not to be a plug to them in any way, but other banks do this sometimes is they want your, they want your account in this economy. Everyone's fighting for your business that they offered $200 to open a new account with them. No string of the tap. You know, you have to keep it open for six months. So I thought, okay, I did it, and I did get that money in my account. And at that time, they had discussed with me, would you be interested in opening this credit card? There was no, and it ended up being a fantastic card that I don't, um, I got that year that I wanted of not having to pay interest rates, and I still am paying off each month. But that way, I'm putting all of my big things, my car insurance, things like that, that um, come the big payments on, and it's giving me more cushion time. And it actually boosted my credit score by doing that, because the bank was seeing me as responsible. Something I wanted to just kind of tie back into real quick about talking with those college-bound people is, um, again, we're stressing education and, and where you're getting your loans from, but a really big thing that's been um, affected in this economy and sort of the mistrust and getting back to you about the, the simplicity of the Internet is um, where your education from. A lot of these, and I'm such in support of trade schools or, you know, the schools you can do online, but a lot of times if they offer false promises is that you can do it all from home or they'll pay for your school and they'll give you, and they've been, quote, unquote, sort of guaranteeing jobs after school. People get out of school, they can't get a job with these degrees because, in essence, they're not as a credit, they're not as viewed as higher as other ones, and the interest rates are extremely high, and this is um, really kind of affected people that in the beginning couldn't af- afford other education. So when you're looking in, you know, to taking out loans, to getting credit cards, it's so important to do your research. And if you're one of those people, I, I know I, I find it so simple and so easy to do things online, but a lot of times talking with someone, having someone actually explain the fine print to you is so much more worth the while. So I recommend you know, going into your to your bank if you're thinking about opening a credit card through them. Um, a lot of times, even at schools, they'll offer services with someone to talk with you to explain it to you. Well, these are all great tips, Heather, and as always, we're out of time, and I agree, shop around, go in person. You know, there's nothing like the personal connection because the Internet can't really... 
understand your needs as much as we may think they will. So go ahead and wrap it up. Give us our your final tip and and give the websites. Yeah, exactly. So the big thing is that um, with credit, with loans, with debt, it's all borrowed money. So if you intend, just as you know, your mother always said, never you know, never borrow lender B. If you intend to borrow money, make sure you have the ability to pay it back so that you um, will affect, be affected positively long-term. And speaking of positivity, we want you to check out the websites. Go to bethestarur.com as well as bethestarur.org. Well, when we return from break, the mysteriousness, the weirdness, and some horror begins with Roland Alnick's book, Oddities and Entities. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And thanks for a great segment, Heather. Everyone, be responsible out there and get a good credit. We'll be back in a bit. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Get a positive prescription for living and discover a cure for adversity when you make a difference in the lives of others by donating to Be The Star You Are, a 501c3 top-rated charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, positive media, and tools for living. www.bethestarur.org All donations are tax-deductible. www.bethestarur.org Be the lucky star Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Be the star you are. You are the Get ready to be inspired, entertained, and motivated to greatness with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Turn up the volume. Tune in to the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, back to the program with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. We appreciate you listening to us here on Star Style. Be the star you are. We have been broadcasting live every week. Since 1998, and we would not be here on the air if it weren't for you. So thanks again for tuning in right here for all our discussions with authors and experts. 
Well, there's more to this world than flesh and bone, writes author Roland Alnuck. Set in the mysterious space between the everyday world and that existence that is just beyond reach, Roland's second book, Oddities and Entities, traces a path through the supernatural, through the paranormal, and the speculative, and it has a lot of horror thrown in there, I guess for good measure. Well, welcome, Roland, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Well, thank you, Cynthia. I'm happy to be joining you on the air. <laughs> well, the first thing I want to tell you is congratulations. You are on time. You said oh. <laughs> that you were born two weeks late, and you've been trying to be on time ever since. I caught that. And, hey, you did it, boy. You did it. <laughs> well, I try. You know, I've been looking to make up that time, and uh, <laughs> yeah. a lot of work gets me there. <laughs> I know. Well, good for you. We're going to call you on time Roland this whole show, okay. right? That's a good one. Works well, for me. You have been writing as a hobby since your early teen years, but it wasn't until just a few years ago that you decided to write as a profession, and you've already won several awards. Now, obviously, working the night shift at a hospital for the past two decades must have placed very high in creating some of your stories, as witnessed by some of the stories here in your book, Oddities and Entities. And I'm wondering before we kind of delve into the stories, if you could talk a little bit about your professional life before you were a writer and maybe how it influenced some of the stories that you tell. Because they all have this very kind of a, they have a, a medical, there's something about them that really would indicate that you did spend a lot of time with people that were death, dying, hurt, you know, in a medical situation. Well, there's there's a part of life that in our normal everyday world we we don't really see, and you see that in a hospital, and uh, it, it's something that maybe we're not always comfortable talking about. But uh, illness and death obviously are natural parts of life, and in a hospital you get to see that with the kind of the veil taken off of it, and you see it in all its various forms and all its strange forms. And uh, seeing it at night, sometimes you walk into situations and you look at something and it's it's really not anything you've <laughs> seen or encountered before. And it's not something you're going to see because there is that veil of, uh, I guess, propriety, you could call it, that society draws across the experience to make it a little easier for us to deal with. And when you're there seeing it without that, it, it tends to make you think. And uh, you know, some of the things I've seen, I, I used to think, boy, that, that there has to be some mention of this in the news or not. And it doesn't get mentioned because it is this sort of behind-the-veil part of life. And like I said, I, I've found that thought-provoking over the year because these are things that you normally don't think about, but they are there. Well, you're an avid reader, and when I was reading a couple of your stories, and by the way, for our readers, I mean our listeners, the book is Oddities and Entities, and our author today is Roland Alnack, and that's A-L-L-N-A-C-H, and he he delves into the supernatural, things, as, as he says, beyond the veil, but what he's done with this book is he's divided it into six short stories that are, they all are intertwined in some way because thematically, but basically they are different stories. 
there was a lot of different supernatural things, but really, uh, but also a lot of horror involved in it. Did you, in your medical time, did you see a lot of horror that actually planted the seeds to write about some of these, you know, the slicing, dicing, stab them and slab them? <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I've seen some pretty uh, gruesome stuff to, <laughs> to just put it plainly, but uh, really, I, I, you know, to toot my horn, but. You know, my, my imagination tends to, to run away on things. And when I think of certain things, I, I always think, well, what about this? And what if we take it another step? And what if that? And um, just, I guess that's my nature, that I tend to go down some of those darker roads in my thoughts and dreams. And uh, from that come some of the stranger things that are in the book. And uh, like I said, you know, in a hospital, you, you do see some things that, you think, boy, uh, <laughs> never thought I'd see that when I woke up uh, yesterday. <laughs> right, um, right. And it must be, some of that must have been really frightening because many, I found that the, the supernatural characters and things that you used, I really, in, I, I enjoyed those. I mean, I, it's like, oh. I, re, I love the idea of witches or wizards or, you know, vampires, but I like good witches and good, <laughs> Good yeah. <laughs> I'm, af- I'm afraid of the of the bad ones. But one thing that you have uh, talked about is that when you were a kid, you didn't have the most, you know, the best grammar or the best writing. But I want to praise your prose. Oh, you, you are a beautiful writer. I mean, the oh, way that you. you write is just exquisite. Some of the thank things you. you write about are really horrible, but what you the way you write is so beautiful, Roland. Oh, thank you very much. What, what uh, was it, it that helped you do that? Because was it all the reading, you know, of not only the classics but modern writers? What was was there a, a point where you just realized, or the door opened, and you went, "Wow, I really love writing." You know, I was like you said, I was always an avid reader, and I have a, a pretty big do-it-yourself part of my personality. And when I would be reading, even though you know I did struggle a bit with grammar in school. When I would read things, I would often think, not to the criticism necessarily of what I was reading, but looking at it and thinking, what if we went this way with this story? Or what if this scene was constructed in a certain way? And by studying and studying the things I read, I think the grammar just kind of diffused into my head. (laughs) Because when I would go to write something, I would read it, and I would think, you know, it just doesn't sound like the things I'm reading. So... While maybe some of the, the strict definitions of prepositions or sentence diagrams and all that heavy grammar stuff uh, doesn't necessarily factor in in its strict technical terms, again, it's, it's the sound. And one thing I really learned from reading Shakespeare and Homer is that there's a certain musicality to language, a certain rhythm, and just using those elements, you can really affect the mood and translate messages that are not necessarily in the words. And, uh, you know, writing is, is a funny thing because somebody reads a story, or when I read a story, you know, your only interface to it is the words that you see on the page. And yet, good writing transcends the words. So it's there, but it's not. It should be transparent and just allow the reader to go right in. And there's a certain, like I said, a, a certain sound to it, and it's not something that I, I can define and say, well, it's this or it's that, but it's more a feeling I get when I read something or when I'm reading my my own stuff, proofreading, that I go through it and I think, okay, you know, I, I think I hit the mark on this one. It's got that sound and it's just kind of dissolving away and I'm in it. 
<laughs> well, and, and you feel it. It's like music. I was going to, when you said rhythm, I was going to say that good writing has a rhythm and a beat. Yeah. And many times it's, it is the pauses, you know, between the notes that really make it shine. Yeah. But, but it's really, I read so many books and I read three to four books every week. And it's very obvious to me when I read a book that is written by someone who loves to read because their writing is so much better, so much uh, more definitive, so much more uh, colorful. Their characters are very developed, and I just wanted to tell you and commend you on this in in all of the stories. Oh, so in you. in uh, oddities and entities, these we have these uh, six stories: Bone View, Shift, uh, Change, My Other Me, Gray, Elmer Phelps, and Appendage. When you're writing these, I know the characters probably just come to you and some things must be based on experience and then you go the extra way. But do you ever have a character that sticks with you and you almost feel like it is an entity that has entered your body, kind of like Gray did? Yeah. <laughs> and I actually, you know, it, I, I really like this idea. I had a bloody nose this morning and I was thinking, oh, I wonder where Gray is. <laughs> you were waiting for something to come out, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I thought, so I mean, where did that, uh, tell us a little bit about, like, constructing that, because that's a very, I found that to be an interesting twist on the spirit life, you know, of having this other side of you that you're working in tandem, I thought that was interesting, is, do you have any characters that when they come to you, you feel attached to them? Uh, well, typically, all the characters I write, I become very attached to. Um, my writing process is usually starting with a character, and I think of a person, and maybe I have a little collection of ideas in my head for different stories, but they're just a bare plot or a particular scene and not much else attached to it. And as I think about a different personality or a different character, you know, I'll, I'll let it stew in my head and think about the person from different perspectives and kind of let them grow on their own. And at a certain point, that's going to click with one of those ideas that's sitting around on the shelf, and then the thing really starts to accelerate from there. And at that point, that's when I sit down and start writing. And uh, that, that's part of where the dedication on the book is to all the little voices, <laughs> and so uh, not, not to be selfish, but those are the little voices of the, the characters in my head, and certainly when a story ends, they, they do linger with me, and I think part of what I, I try to develop in the story is that relationship I have with them, I know that may sound multiple personality type of deal, but uh, you know they feel real to me, and that is what I try to convey in the story, and I, I think when you write anything, whether it's somebody walking to a store or somebody having, like you say, a little creature pop out of their head, your character development is really the portal for the reader. And if the characters themselves aren't responding to a situation that it's real, that it's affecting to them, and that they're emotionally invested in it, then your reader would, would have a similar inclination. that They have to feel that through the character. And when they do, that takes all the elements of the story and really lift them up because now you've shown something not just as, oh, this happened, but, wow, what am I going to do about this now? Things have repercussions in your life, and you have to deal with that. So, you know, people are complicated, complex beings, and nothing just 
happens. It's like dropping a, a pebble in the pond. He had all those ripples and all those little thoughts and emotions and effects in their life, and it just pans out from there. Do any of the characters, when they linger in your mind, do they frighten you? Because in your stories, there's a lot of violence in with your characters, and there's you know there's some very strange things that go on, and there's abuse and uh, and killings and things. Do you ever get scared by what your characters are actually doing? Because they, it scared me when I read them. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. Because all of a sudden, there'd be, you know, like um, like Elmer. I really loved Elmer. Oh, and then just, I thought he was such, a, you know, he was such a, just really a, I don't know, he's just a really a sweet guy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he has to do this horrendous thing. And, and then there's a different, you know, I'm not giving away any endings, but... Do any of your, do you get haunted? That would be the best question. Do you find that your characters haunt you? Uh, I would certainly say that. Yes, <laughs> you know, okay. There, there are occasions where I'm, I'm writing something and I know where I'm going to go, and then actually having go to go to that place and write a particular scene, there is a hesitation sometimes like, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> but uh, I think, again, that, the fact that I feel that way about it helps me make the character feel that way about it, and it does. Well, you you broached some really tough uh, topics here, things that people don't yeah. talk about. You know, when you're dealing like with incest or uh, mutilation or yeah. you know, murders or rapes, or I mean, and you're dealing with a lot of this in there. So I would think that these some of your characters, um, it probably does linger with you a, quite a while. Do you have to figure out? How to put them to rest, so to speak? <laughs> well, usually writing the story is what puts it to rest. I, I, I often think of writing as my own form of therapy. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I, was, I wanted to ask you that, Roland, because you you bring up a therapist. You know, as a you don't not act as a real character, but you talk about somebody having a therapist or talking in yeah. several of the stories. So I was wondering if the writing was your therapy. It is. It is very much my therapy. Yeah. I mean, I was. Very fortunate. I had a wonderful childhood, and I'm extremely thankful for that. And I think that that gives me the security, and, you know, I have a wonderful family, and that, that security zone for me, that's like my little fortress. And I can look over that wall, look at some of the stranger things out there, and I don't know why. I guess it's just my makeup, but... When I sleep, I have some strange things go through my head. and So you get them out by writing, yeah, thank and goodness. out they go. And, you know, sometimes I, it makes me a little moody, and, you know, it's almost like a running joke. My wife says to me sometimes, go ahead and write something, <laughs> you know, just to, to get it out. And uh, How does your family relate? I mean, you know, because... These aren't family stories that you would sit around and do a bedtime story for your kids. No. So, so you know, you are a family man, and you, you talk about when you're not writing you, or, you know, working on your website or whatever. Your favorite thing is to be with your family. Yeah. How has your family reacted? I know you're from a German-Italian heritage. These are both very family-oriented, you know, um, legacies. Yeah. What do they say about your stories? Uh, sometimes there's a little head scratching, <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's more curiosity is where I'm pulling these things from and where they go and, and how they work themselves out. Uh, you know, I, I look at it more so as a lot of what I try to show on my characters, and, and particularly in this book, is that crazy things come into these people's lives, horrible things, 
but yet they they have to try to balance this against sort of the their gentler natures and a sense of morality and you know that, that's kind of how I look at my life there's my wonderful time with my family and again that's that's my little security zone and then I look outside that or look into some of those things I hear in my head and I just you know keep that at arm's length or at the same time embracing it and writing it and being done with it um, you know I, I think Life in general, people want to try to have sort of that dividing line. There's sort of the mess of life, and there's the wonderful things of life. And somewhere in there, we all have to draw a line, and there is a certain reckoning between the two. And really, that, that's the overriding theme of, of the stories in the book. And as you said, there's, there's a progression going through it. And I think that's why the stories tend to get a little bit more of a philosophical edge as they move along. Because in the end, we all have our own little life philosophies we live by and we have to have our own little moral compass because the world is confusing and challenging and we have to find our way through there and with that see i really loved my the final story was actually my favorite story i really enjoyed appendage because i felt that there was such a a moral issue here i love the whole idea of the tree people and and the whole life force and you know i i really I really thought that what you were trying to say there, or what I took away from it, maybe not what you were trying to say, but what, what I took away from reading it was that, you know, we as a as a human culture, how we are actually raping other countries and uh, for resources and the deforestation, et cetera. And I, I liked the spirit world that you created there. I thought this was, these were good spirits. I'd like to be one of them. <laughs> We're talking to Roland Alnock. His book is Oddities and Entities. I want to give out your website because we're getting to the end of our time so that people can get a, a copy of it, and that is to go to his name, RolandAlnock.com, R-O-L-A-N-D-A-L-L-N-A-C-H.com. Do you want to just give us a final wrap-up or, or leave us what is the, uh, the entity that is roaming in your head now that's considering your next writing adventure? Uh, yeah, well, just to sum up oddities and entities, I'd like to say if, you know, if you're a reader and you'd like to take a suspenseful, thought-provoking trip into the surreal, please uh, consider taking a walk with me through the stories. And uh, as far as the future right now, I'm... Uh, now, I'm always working on a couple of ideas. Uh, my next project that I'm going into is um, looking more into how life adapts and sort of a genetic lean on it, um, dealing with parasites and foreign planets and where humanity might evolve into. So, well, <laughs> a lot well, of, uh, well look for that. Congratulations on your you. award in the Science Fiction uh, National Indie Excellence Award. That's a that's a really big deal. So take a walk, immerse yourself in the imagination of Roland Alnock. His book, Oddities and Entities, go to RolandAlnock.com. Thank you, Roland, for uh, taking a step and being here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are with me today and telling us your background. I am sure that tonight you won't be sleeping because you're going to have a lot more characters running around in your head with all their different voices. 
<laughs> yes, indeed. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It was uh, a lot of fun and I think some good conversation we had. <laughs> thank you so much. Roland Alnack, Oddities and Entities. And when we come back from break, a compelling tale of powerful magic, romance, betrayal, and suspense with New York Times bestselling author Melissa Dela Cruz. Her new book, Serpent's Kiss. Stay with me. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Be the star you are. Light up the flames that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org Be the lucky star you Looking for unique, one-of-a-kind gifts for the special woman in your life? The Carmony Collection creates handmade handbags, clutches, candles, and canvases from vintage and recycled fabrics, bangles, and beads. Be eco-friendly and fashionable with prices for all pocketbooks. Visit www.carmonycollection.com. That's Carmony with a K and Collection with a K. Or call 925-785-7827. Be the star you are. You are the Turn up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. We are having a party here. It's a supernatural party. Thank you for staying with me. My name is Cynthia Bryan, and you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. You met the intriguing Beauchamp family, introduced in the New York Times best-selling Witches of East End, and now author Melissa de la Cruz returns with more plot twists and a spellbinding magic in her newest book called Serpent's Kiss. Welcome, Melissa, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I am really excited. I love witches. I was saying this on the sec- uh, last segment, but I love good witches. And you have, you have good, sweet witches. <laughs> yeah, that's your witches of East End. I, I thought that the way that I'm so glad that they're back and you're getting more into it. But I, one thing I wanted to bring out in this book that was so fun, and I wanted to know wh- how you came to this choice, is that every chapter is the title of a great song. So <laughs> I start off the book, I see the chapter, and I'm singing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad. 
God. Uh, well, you know, I think uh, I, I've always loved, you know, music is an inspiration, and definitely pop music, rock music is a big inspiration. I, I love pop culture, and I feel like I'm a pop writer. And uh, when a couple of uh, song uh, uh, choices kind of happened, you know, just by accident, and then I decided, oh, I could do all, all, all the chapters then, you know. So that was really fun, and, you know, trying to pick, like, the, the right Madonna song for certain things. So. <laughs> well, and did, the, did, again, you know, just how when you're writing a book and the characters come to you, did the songs just kind of come, just, like, pop out because you had already written part of the chapter, or did you pick the song first and then write the chapter? What, what came first, chicken or egg? I think the chapter comes first, uh, you know, kind of both, because as I write, uh, I write some chapters, the whole thing, sometimes I write, you know, just kind of skeletal notes, so, you know, if I, but I know the theme of each chapter, um, I always know what the chapter's going to be about, so if I know the theme and I know a great song, you know, I put the song title first, but, you know, some, some chapters are hard, uh, difficult to find the right song to. Well, when you're writing, because you've written so many books, now all these bestsellers you have millions of books out there in the world Uh are you the kind of writer melissa that you write a outline first or how do you go about it does uh, some you know some writers they just come and the characters develop and you go to sleep at night and all of a sudden they're all talking in your head and the next day they're there some writers kind of really map it out chapter by chapter what happens with your process uh, I think all writers have a little bit of both. Um, you need to know, you know, kind of where you're going. And then if you're not losing sleep over your book, then it's probably not that good. <laughs> you know? <laughs> good <laughs> you, you know, It definitely starts to become part of your life. Like, you'll wake up with a great idea. So, for me, I do both. I do a very detailed outline, uh, plotting out the whole story. And then as I start writing it, the characters, you know, kind of come to life. And then they start kind of deciding how the story's going to go. So even though if I have a very detailed outline, sometimes I just can't make my story happen because the characters kind of tell me that's not the right way to go. And uh, and then I'll write a different, um, uh, you know, I'll have to write a different draft. And I've, I have chucked, you know, outlines before when I realized what I had planned for my characters was not what they had wanted for themselves. So, <laughs> Isn't it interesting how, you know, this is, you're writing about rather supernatural things or what we call supernatural uh-huh. or, or behind the veil or whatever it is, otherworldly. Yeah. And the reality is, is these characters that develop in your head really do have their own lives. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's really kind of freaky. And, it is you know, freaky. And they become your friends and you miss them when the book's over. I mean, you know, you're, you're trying so hard to finish the book and make your deadline and get everything done. And then you get there and you're done. And instead of feeling, you know, triumphant, I mean, triumphant lasts for like maybe 10 minutes. Then you start being like, well, what do I do now? And, you know, like I have nobody to hang out with now because I have right. my Right. Where'd my, friend, where'd my buddies <laughs> yeah. go? My, my pals. Yep. You know, I was a history major in college and I, and the Salem witch trials were, very fascinating. I mean, the whole, whole idea of persecution of witches or people who were uh, supposed to be witches throughout centuries, there were many reasons for it, whether somebody wanted their possessions or they just didn't like you or they yeah. you know, wanted to get rid of you because yeah. they wanted to divorce you, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But you do a lot of research when you write these mm-hmm. books so because you weave that into your story. Your, your characters are going back and forth in in time a bit, could you explain a little bit of the kind of research or the backstory you have to do? 
yeah, I do a lot of research. I read a lot of um, uh, books about the Salem witch trials, about that time, uh, witch trials in general, and about, uh, you know, kind of like how they came from Europe, you know, basically the whole history, because I was trying to find... Uh, spot in the history where I could kind of tweak. Like, I like to read history and then figure out where I can change it. So that's what I did uh, with the Salem Witch Trials, was I you know, kind of discovered that um, there was a book um, uh, written by a reverend that was describing um, the witch trials in Switzerland, because these were all in Europe that, you know, witch persecution was happening, and it kind of came to America. And so I thought, like, hmm, maybe, you know, this uh, this book kind of starts things out for for um, for the American kind of persecution. So so you know it's not just researching the the time that um, that I'm in, which is in Salem. Like I also go back to you know kind of like I always like to ask like, well, when did it start? Is it back in ancient? Like how ancient is it? Right. You went you went back to ancient mm-hmm. ancient history. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone is always interested, and I know I am in like ruin the. Potions, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, teenagers, and I know in college we did a lot of Ouija boards. Oh, yeah. And what was really strange about it is that it, they moved. It was like, what? Yeah. How is this happening? Yeah, what the energy, that? right? <laughs> there was energy. Yeah, there really, there really was energy about it. Mm-hmm. And you use in in the book your characters. Each of uh, the girls, they have uh, they have a kind of a different kind of way of doing potions, mm-hmm. and so we have the love potions. You know, we have the power potions, etc. We, we did. What were you using there to make up these ideas for your potions? Uh, you know, I researched some, uh, you know, kind of Wiccan and white magic. So I would, uh, I would find, you know, kind of like interesting, um, you know, uh, folklore, which had, you know, spells. And then I would kind of change the spells a little. And with the potions, you know, because uh, Freya does a lot of like drinks and she puts it in the potions. So I looked up kind of herbs and plants that people kind of, um, you know, kind of subscribe, uh, uh, kind of magical healing powers, or, you know, they stand for, you know, romance. Yeah, for acts, whatever. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then I put them in mine. So I kind of created my own, uh, you know, kind of magical spells. <laughs> but I well, wanted I to make it sure. You, I loved it that you made her a bartender. Because, yeah. you know, wouldn't, wouldn't that be the coolest? It would be just so cool to be able to go into this, a restaurant or bar and Really order your love potion number nine. <laughs> I know, right? You know, I mean, it's a lot of wishful fulfillment for me. You know, it's it's, uh, it's fun to escape into this world where magic is real. Definitely. You made uh, you made a comment in uh, the chapter that was called "Blasphemous Rumors," where uh-huh. you wrote that hanging was less violent than burning, but neither could be called humane. <laughs> and it just made me the whole scene that you described there. It made me think about throughout history how many cultures have been party to different executions of different kinds. And that euphoria that people get. And you know what it reminded me of is how people watch reality TV today and they see all these horrible things happening to people and they just love it and they get these high ratings. It's it's almost like it's the same thing. Oh, oh, definitely. And I think, you know, it, and I'm doing research now for another book about the Roman times, you know, with the gladiators. Exactly. And the 
You know, so it's just people love seeing <laughs> seeing violence and terrible things happen. You know, it didn't it didn't dawn on me till I read that line in mm-hmm. Serpent's Kiss. We're mm-hmm. speaking to New York Times bestselling author. You know, we're from the Blue Blood series, Melissa Dela Cruz, and this book is Serpent's Kiss. It's another book in the Witches of East End's novels. Um, you come from Manila. And you have had so many exciting jobs and writing (laughs) assignments. Tell us about this. Do you use any of your culture from the Philippines to weave that into some of your stories? Um, uh, I think I use my experiences because uh, when I grew up in the Philippines, my dad had his own investment bank and they were kind of part of the uh, social elite in Manila. And so when I went to college in New York and kind of became a New Yorker, and my dad always said New York was just Manila with money and just really seeing. <laughs> yeah, no, and he was just like, it's just everything's the same. And even the way the people act, I mean, my aunt was telling me how in Manila when Pashmina oh, became really big. I mean, right. everybody was wearing it. And it's 90 and it's, degrees. I was say, isn't it about 100 degrees there yeah. and everybody's wearing Pashmina? And that's everybody's wearing Pashmina because that's the thing to do. And it was just so crazy and funny. And uh, so a lot of those kind of growing up experiences came into Blue Bloods. And uh, and then I was a, a, an au pair, well, not really an au pair, kind of more like a babysitter for a really rich family once in the Hamptons. And then so that became the au pairs. So I do use a lot of my uh, background. And uh, I haven't quite put in um, kind of the Filipino culture yet. I haven't quite uh, been able to uh, to work that in. I, I have like a big Filipino fantasy, not fantasy, a soap opera that I want to write. And I've been wanting to write it for about 20 years. But we'll see. Well, well you know, happens. Melissa, because I was thinking about that, you don't, at least we here don't hear much about the folklore or fantasy or any of that from the Philippines. So I think it would be really original to work it in. I mean, you already have a great platform. Yeah, so, you know, it's... and <laughs> so that might be really fun. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's... I, I definitely get my superstition, you know, love for superstition and kind of belief in, you know, magic. From, and magic, from of course. That's mm-hmm. what you would think. It would be kind of be that voodoo kind of, I mean, it's mm-hmm. not called voodoo there, but, yeah. you know, there is that whole superstition stuff that, that goes on that I think would really, really work. Yeah. I want to ask you, you've been writing YA books, you uh-huh. know, books for young adults, and, of course, you write for adults. Mm-hmm. Is there, like, a cut off where a book becomes good for one and not so good for the other what what do you do how do you determine what uh, genre you want to write for what demographic uh, I think, you know, mostly, you know, uh, when you write young adults, you, you know, they are teenagers. So you are writing about somebody kind of on the cusp, somebody with a lot of possibilities. I always say, you know, I love some of my characters. They're 16-year-old um, rebels, and they steal cars, and they're so cool. And I thought, oh, my God, if I if he was 38, he would just be a loser. <laughs> you know? Right, right. That's, hey, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. so, like, he's, like, hot and great right now, but, you know, you at 38, you want like, you know, a family man and somebody has a regular job, you know, not all the tattoos or something. So, you know, for me, I decide on what kind of story I want to tell. And when I wanted to write witches, I did think about kind of older characters in a way that they were not dealing with high school, were not dealing with, like, you know, discovering who they were, you know, um, kind of the usual kind of rites of passage. Like, they were already grown women, and they had their own set of problems. I wanted to talk about motherhood, that kind of stuff. <laughs> 
So you had you had a lot of fun dealing with these ladies as girlfriends, basically, as oh, opposed definitely. to pals that you would have had in high school. Yes, that would, that's probably more like it, right? These were, yes. and they're boyfriends. So now, what about the brother? So what about Freddie? Mm-hmm. That I thought this was this whole idea with the bridge and the between the worlds and all of this. I thought that was a fascinating aspect um, as well to have a character who is the love interest of one of the daughters mm-hmm. and the and the male be the best friend of the brother and then he's actually being accused of betrayal and the destruction of that was that was a nice twist. I liked that. <laughs> well, I, I like playing with people's loyalty, you know. So you have your family loyal to your to your brother, and then he's also the best friend of somebody he's accusing of doing this horrible thing. So you know, you're kind of in the middle there. Who do you believe, you know, and where does your true loyalty lie? And uh, and I think that's something that's kind of human, and we all kind of deal with, uh, you know, just you know, do I, you know, please my husband or please my mother, you know? So <laughs> there's a there's a lot of that. Just in reality too and then I turn up the supernatural and <laughs> kept the suspense you kept the suspense going with that actually to the very end you had a, another well you have a lot of great lines in the book again we're talking with Melissa De La Cruz Serpent's Kiss is her book but when the witches started losing some of their power and um, I think well I'm not sure let's see who, which one of it that said I wasn't sure if she could turn the pixies back from yeah, frogs. Ingrid. <laughs> it Ingrid, Ingrid that said that. I yeah. was laughing because I could just imagine this whole family of frogs because I have all these frogs and crickets that are living here in my pond. And I thought, oh, maybe those are pixies. Well, <laughs> I want to just tell our listeners, I want to give out your website. It is melissa-delacruz.com. Mm-hmm. You can see all of her books there. Of course, they're available online and all the bookstores. You can ask for any of the Witches of East End. This is their second novel, Serpent's Kiss. And then, of course, the Blue Blood series uh, that you should also pick up. Yeah, but I want to just tell our listeners, Melissa, that on July 17th, she's, Melissa will be a guest on our teen show that is Express Yourself on our sister network, Voice America Kids Network, noon on July 17th. So make sure you tune in then as well. We're glad that you are here today. So you're now living, dividing your time between New York and L.A., Oh, and my, uh, Matt, my engineer is saying, oh, wrap it up, Cynthia. I'm always running late. When I'm having fun, Melissa, I can't help myself. So I think we have to let you go ahead and wrap up Serpent's Kiss, and, um, and then we'll give your website out again. And then we'll have to just talk some more another time. Sounds good to me. It was fun chatting with you about the book. Oh, it is, it is fun. I, we really love this book and I kept the entire book. I was trying to figure out where did you fit, where did you come up with the title Serpent's Kiss, Serpent's Kiss? And it's at the very end of the book in one line. So readers, you just gotta find it. You gotta (laughs) find it. Go to (laughs) melissa-delacruz.com. You can tell she is a really, really fun author. And we have a lot more to expect from her. So, Melissa, thank you so much for being on Star Style. Be the star you are. And we will talk soon. Thanks, Cynthia. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank you all for joining us in our Supernatural special today on Star Style. Be the star you are. Stick with us every single week. 
right here on World Talk Radio, where we bring you the authors who will expand your mind, hopefully inspire you, at least make you think. For more information about the charity, visit btsya.com. For Star Style, go to starstyleproductions.com. And until next week, when we celebrate again, my name is Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. Thanking you and encouraging you. Shine and be the star you are. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for tuning in every week for the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Our goal is to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to reach for the stars and shine brightly. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. You're invited to our Power Party next week and every week right here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel with the dynamic duo, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, our health hero, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers on the planet. We'll pour more champagne for the spirit with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until we play again, be the star you are. You.